good morning, everyone. Man, it's good to see you guys. Happy Sunday to you. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and we are super excited to have you guys here with us today. It's a beautiful morning, amen? And you guys, you need to wake up. We're going we're, we're to have to work on this. Hey, we're, we are in the middle of a series called This Is Us. And I want to kind of give you a little bit of an update of, of what this is all about, okay? Once a year, we take some time to talk about some of the most important ideas, the most important things that really kind of drive us as a church, okay? We could, we could call them a lot of things, we could, but around here we call them values, we talk about the, the values that drive us. But here's the thing. I, I've learned something uh, over the years of my life that I'm sure you can attest to. It's one thing to say that you value something, and it's another to do it. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I value saving money, don't you? Oh yeah, we all value saving money. I value it until I saw this week a beautiful sawmill. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe I don't want to save money so much this week. I value saving money until I go to a chainsaw store. I value saving money until I see nice trucks or tractors or, you know, one of my friends over here, Will, is trying to sell tractors, and I'm like, oh, what about you? You value saving money until something's in front of you, right? Something that you like, and all of a sudden you go, I'd like to spend some money. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I've found, okay? What I truly value drives every decision that I make. I found that to be true. It's one thing for me to say something. It's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you I value this or that. But the truth is this, that what I truly value, okay, drives every decision that I make. When I get up in the morning is determined by what I value getting done with the day right? How late I stay up at night is determined by, you know, when I want to be up in the morning. You understand this because we make decisions out of our values every single day. And a few years ago, I started to wrestle with a couple of questions, not, not because I doubted these these issues or anything like that, but I just wanted to start thinking through these, these questions, and I wanted to start leading people to think through these questions. So let me give you a, a couple of questions, these two questions that I've wrestled with myself. Question number one, are you ready? Do I truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, I realize in a room like this, you, you know, there may be um, some people would be all over it and go, yeah, yeah, I do. And, and I, I realize there may be some who maybe you're new to church or new to the idea of Jesus, and that's fine, and you're not sure. The good news, okay, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that um, I'm a messed up sinner, and Jesus went in my place and paid for it by dying on a cross, being buried, and rising again. So I wrestled with, do I truly believe that? If I truly believe that, if I truly value that, then it will determine some of the decisions that I make with my life. Would you agree? Question number two is this. Do I really believe 
that every person is lost apart from Jesus Christ. Do I, do I really, in my soul, do I really believe when I see people, when I'm walking around? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I went down to the Harford Fair. How many of you go to the Harford Fair? That's, like, that's kind of like the religion in uh, south of the border, isn't it, you know? I mean, you know, I, I enjoy the fair. It's fun. It's fun to go. But you see tons and tons of people there. Yesterday, we went to a, a Vestal Youth uh, Football League. Anybody involved, ever been involved in that? None of you? Okay. Wow. We need to get out more, folks. What are we doing? Okay. Uh, we went there yesterday um, because my daughter is cheering. And if ever um, I was scared as a father, it is now. Um, I'm, I'm learning a lot. So we went and we watched my daughter cheer, and, and uh, she's cheering for this football game, and I'm seeing all kinds of people all over the place, seeing people's faces, and beginning to think about, hmm, I wonder who they are. I wonder what's going on in their lives. And wrestling with this question, do I really believe that every person that I see at the fair and every person that I saw at the football game and every person that I see day in and day out is lost apart from Jesus? See, the scripture tells me that that's true. And I would tell you that, that if those things are true, then we should value something <coughs> But the biggest thing that I want you to take away is not a line or an idea or a value. It's that I want to call you to start striving towards something with me. That thing is this idea that we're going to talk about today. Found people find people. If the gospel is true, I believe it is. There's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than any other historical uh, uh, fact that we would say, oh, yeah, that happened. Like, oh, there was, there was a guy named Julius Caesar, and he became, yeah, we, yeah, that's true. There's evidence for that. There is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than any other historical activity and action. So I believe that the gospel is true, but I also believe that apart from Jesus, people are in trouble. And some of those people are my neighbors. Some of those people are my family members. Some of those people are my friends. And some of them are yours. And so what I want to talk with you about today is a call that I believe Jesus gives to Christ followers, that he actually places upon your life and upon my life this calling to care to actually care about the fact that, that the gospel is real and that people need hope and need help and they can only find it in Jesus. I believe he has called us to do something about that. Here at Bridgewater, this is, this is something that we value. This is why, we, we, this is why church may look a little different for you than, than what you're used to church looking like. This is why we do things the way we do because we want this to be a place where people who aren't yet sure about Jesus, certainly aren't sure about church, can come and actually be able to hear about Jesus. But God wants to use you and me in the process of bringing others with us. So I want to walk you through an account found in, in a book of the New Testament. It's called John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament where Jesus lays out 
for, honestly, I think this account is about his disciples, even though you've probably, maybe if you've heard this story, you've probably heard it a little differently. But I think this, is account, this account is about Jesus teaching something to his disciples, and that thing that he's trying to teach them is this, that found people are called to be involved in finding people. The account is found in John chapter 4. If you have a Bible you want to open up there, you can take a look at it with me, or I'll walk you through a number of the verses up here as well. Okay, but um, I want to I want to first of all give you a little bit of the background. Okay, starts in the, the story starts in chapter four and verse one. Jesus has been in Jerusalem. Okay, you can see on the on a, on a map here. Okay, that I have for you of the nation of Israel. Okay, Jerusalem is down here in kind of the southern portion of the nation of Israel, a part that we today call Judea. And while he's there, a bunch of the religious leaders are getting mad with him, and so Jesus decides to go up north to Galilee, where he spent most of his time. And as he's traveling there, rather than going out and around to avoid a portion uh, called Samaria which a lot of people would do when they went up to Galilee, Jesus decides to go right through it. And when he travels up through Samaria, it, it, this was, this was a, a different people group. This, this is a place with, where people had different culture. They had different, a different religion. They had different backgrounds. They had different values. And the Jews would oftentimes stay away from those people. They didn't like them because, to be honest, they had intermarried with other people that the Jewish people didn't accept, and so they decided, all right, we're going to separate away from them. And Jesus, instead of avoiding that place, traveled right up through it. They stopped in a town. The town was called Sychar. It's well known if you know your Old Testament because it was the location of a well that, that Joseph, one of the patriarchs, okay, one of, one of Abraham's descendants, okay, um, Joseph owned this well. It was given to him by his father Jacob, and so people lived around this well, and Jesus, hungry and thirsty from the, from the journey, stopped there. And the text tells us what happened next. I want you to see it. In verse 7, look at what it says. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now let me back up a few things, okay? Or just a few, uh, Let me back up a few, few verses here and give you the context. Jesus got there in the middle of the day. He's hungry. He's tired. He's thirsty. His disciples went into town to get some food. And Jesus is sitting there. And in the middle of the day, a woman comes to the well. If you've never been to Israel, one of the things you would want to know is that, um, you know, um, it's actually quite warm there often. <laughs> um, been there several times. Even in the, in the spring, it can be cooler. But if you're there in the middle of the day, the sun is out, this area is kind of a desert area, you would not go get water in the middle of the day. And yet that's what this woman is doing. And Jesus asks her to give him a drink. Why is she there in the middle of the day? Well, we'll get to that. But the next verse tells us there's a bigger issue going on. It says this, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Something's going on here. This woman 
recognizes that Jesus really culturally shouldn't have been talking to her. The Jews don't like the Samaritans. Not only that, male figures did not talk to females in this culture. It did not happen. The only woman you would speak to as a Jewish man would be your wife. And yet Jesus is talking to her. Why? It's here that we begin to see a couple of steps that you and I need to take if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let me, let me give you the first one. Here's the first step. We need to see others the way Jesus sees them. You and I need to see people the way Jesus sees them. Here's the problem. Sometimes people are jerks. Can we just be honest with each other for a minute, right? And sometimes I'm cranky and sometimes I'm tired and, and sometimes I'm peopled out. Can anybody else identify? And yet here's Jesus, weary, worn, sitting by the well, and he interacts with this woman. How does he see her? He sees her as a woman having value. She's made in the image of God. He stops and he pays attention to her. Hmm. We live in such a fast-paced culture that we often don't see people. We live in such a fast-paced culture that all we do is we drive up to a window, we make an order, we get our thing, and we move on. And in many ways, we've applied that to every aspect of our lives. And yet, Jesus sees this woman as having immeasurable value. He slows down, he sees her, and he begins to talk with her. Not only that, the text tells us, I won't read all of this to you, but you know, she asks, why are you interacting with me? And he says to her, basically, the, the conversation goes like this, hey, if you knew what I could give to you, you would ask me for water. And later he explains what kind of water he's talking about. In fact, in verse 13, here's what he says. He says this, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the water from this well that you're drawing, they will be thirsty again. But let me tell you about the water that I have to offer you. Verse 14, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying, I, I have something to offer you that will change everything for you, okay? Now, why would he say, I have something to offer you that will change everything for you unless he knew something about her? See, the interesting thing is, he did know everything about her. He saw her, and he knew everything about her. He knew exactly what was going on in her life. He knew the things that she valued, the decisions that she'd made, and yet he still paid attention to her. Let me, let me show you what happened. He goes on, and it says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then he responds in verse 16 by saying this, Go, call your husband and come back. That seems interesting. Why would he ask her to go get her husband? What's going on here? See, what's going on is that Jesus knew exactly what was going on in her heart. 
Jesus knew all the wells that she'd been going to to try to fill herself up. Jesus knew all the places that she'd been turning to try to make herself feel whole. Can, can we just be honest with each other? All of us tend to have places that we go to try to make ourselves feel whole. For some of us, it's, it's you know, we try to feel whole by doing good for others. For some of us, we turn to, to other things, things that really aren't good. It's easy to turn to a bottle. It's easy to turn to a relationship. It's easy to turn to something to escape, to try to make ourselves feel whole. And the reality is, here Jesus is. He knows everything about her, and he's still interacting with her. He sees her as having immeasurable value but he's going to put his finger on what's going on in her life. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Look at her response. She says this in verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus said to her, you're right. You've been honest. You've told the truth. You're right that you said, when you say you have no husband, And then he continues on and tells her more about her. He says, the fact is that you've had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. For some reason, something has gone on in this woman's life that that five men have married her and then released her. Married her and released her. Five times she's been told by a man, oh, I, I, I want you, I accept you. And then five times they've said, you're not enough. In that culture, all that was required to get a divorce was that you cooked a bad meal. For real. Part of rabbinical codes. Five times a man has said, you are not enough. Do you see how Jesus is seeing this woman? What would happen... What would happen if you and I would just slow down enough to start seeing people? To start seeing people and the fact that there are reasons that they're hurting. There are reasons that they're struggling. There are reasons that they have questions. Maybe there's reasons that they're not here in a church with us. And I wonder what would happen if we would just slow down enough And pay attention. Stop labeling people as, oh, they're troublemakers. Or labeling kids as they're troublemakers. Or they can't focus or whatever. What if we just slowed down and saw people the way Jesus sees them? The interesting thing is, I think this woman was going to the well in the middle of the day, because it wasn't just men who told her she wasn't enough. It was the women who went out all together too. So she went out alone. And Jesus says, I see you. You have immeasurable value. And you're a person in need of mercy and grace. I also think that Jesus saw her as someone way more ready to respond to the love of God than we often think of people being ready to respond to the love of God. I think it's an excuse that we use as Christians to not talk to people because we go, oh, they wouldn't respond. They're not ready. Really? Really? 
See, we're called to be a people who see others like he sees them. And I wonder what would happen if I started seeing my coworkers. Well, my coworkers are a little different, but you get the picture, right? I wonder what would happen. I mean, when in, in, in years past, when I, when I ran a, a tree business out west and I had guys who worked for me and they'd come in and they'd, they, when they started working for me, many of them, they, many guys that get into uh, tree care struggle with drug addictions and guys that would come in and start working for me. And I had one guy tell me, he said, Aaron, I don't ever want you to talk to me about that God stuff. And by the end of the time, that I got to work with him, he was calling me late at night, bawling his eyes out, asking me to pray with him. It only happens when we slow down and we see people the way God sees them. Now let me show you why I think this story is about the disciples, okay? So that the story continues on, and, and, and Jesus is having this conversation with her, and she realizes that more than likely, this is the Messiah. This is the one, the promised one, and, and she runs back into town to go and tell other people, and, and the disciples show up when, when he's still there, and they're kind of like, why is he talking to this woman? They were weirded out, too. They're like, you don't do this. This is odd. We're in Samaria, don't you know? They're like the, the half-breeds, and they're odd, and they, you know, I mean, we don't talk to them. She left, and then Jesus begins interacting with the disciples, and here's what happens. Look in verse 36, or 31. Meanwhile, okay, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Remember what he went to do? He went to, or he, he, he sat, and they went to get some food, okay? So they come back, and they say, hey, please, eat something. Look at Jesus' response, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What? Jesus got some fruit snacks in his back pocket? Is it, is it veggie chips? What are, what are the veggie straws? Is that what those are? No. That's not the issue. Jesus is saying, I, th- I think, honestly, Jesus is alluding to the book of Deuteronomy where, where in the law, God makes it plain that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying, listen, the only thing that sustains me is not food. The thing that sustains me is actually hearing and obeying God's word doing what God has called me to do. Listen, can I just tell you one of the reasons that we have so many anemic, unhealthy Christians is that we are just flat out relying only on food to sustain us. What would happen if we start obeying? What would happen if we started working out, doing some crunches on the Word of God, and obeying it. Look at what he says. Verse 33, he goes on. He says, the disciples said to each other, could someone have, have brought him food, right? They said, did somebody bring him food? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> no. Verse 34, he says this, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. The implication is, I want you to do what I'm doing 
You need to understand what's going to sustain you. What's going to sustain you is obeying the Father and doing what the Father has called us to do. So then he says to them more directly, he says this, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Saying, don't you, don't you understand how it works? You plant and then it's like four months and then the harvest is ready. But he's telling you, look, you haven't even planted anything, but the field is ready. So here's what I'm sending you to do. I'm sending you to reap what you didn't sow. Verse 35 says, or says this, verse 36, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and he harps a harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So here's what I want you to do. Verse 37. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, Pay attention. There's all kinds of opportunities around you. Start investing in others. Why am I sitting here talking to a woman at the well? Why am I engaging this woman who seems to have this sordid past that nobody else wants to be around? Why are we in Sychar? Samaria, this area that nobody else wanted to go. Why are we here? Pay attention. There's open doors around you. If we would just walk through them. Listen, I, I realize, okay, I, I want to lean into something that's unique for us here in New York. I realize that the vast majority of New Yorkers want to get out of New York. Okay, can, can, can we just take that for a minute, okay? I, I realize that. I haven't lived here very long. People said to me when I was moving here, what in the world are you doing? I, I don't know. <laughs> but I believe that God asked us to be here. And I realize that this may not be the area that everybody wants to go to, but I'm going to tell you something. God is doing something here. Do you realize that in this campus alone, we've been able to see 24 people trust Christ this year simply because God is opening doors. He's saying, look, pay attention, see, there is a harvest available. It's people who are at your school. It's people who are at your job. It's people in your neighborhood. It's people who are in your family. God is moving and working. And the reality is that if we would just open up our eyes and listen for and act upon the open door opportunities, God would continue to save people. We need to open our eyes, listen for, and act on open door opportunities. I want to give you a physical, tangible way to think about this, okay? Jesus says, look around. He's, he's kind of he's like, look around, son. You know, he's, he's kind of saying that, look, there's all kinds of open doors. I heard an illustration years ago where somebody was talking about the types of statements that people make that help us know that um, there's an open door. It went a little bit like this. He said, I want you to start 
thinking of knots. What I've got right here is um, a keychain that I made with three knots in it. I carry this around all the time. I had to make a new one because just recently, the one that I made three years ago or two years ago broke. And today I want to give each one of you one of these because I think as you're having conversations with people, there are some knots that they will say. Things like this. People will say, well, I'm not in church. Okay. Maybe that's a person who grew up in church and they've just walked away from church And they're not really sure what's going on. When you hear somebody say, I'm not in church, that's an open door opportunity to invite them to come with you. When you hear somebody say, I'm, you know, things are not going well. My marriage is not going well. My job is not going well. My finances are not going well. Things with my kids are not going well. When you hear that, it's an opportunity to start investing When you hear somebody say, I'm not prepared for this next stage of life. I'm not prepared for parenting. I'm not prepared for retirement. I'm not prepared for whatever it might be. I'm not prepared for getting married. I'm not prepared for leading my family. I'm not prepared for life as a divorcee. I'm not prepared for whatever it may be. That is an open door opportunity. And you may say, well... What do, I, what do I say to somebody when I hear that? What do I say? Because I'm not going to sit and, and have a conversation with, with, with people. Uh, you know, I don't know what Jesus knew, right? In the text we were walking through, you may not know what's going on there in their lives like Jesus does, but what you can say is very simple. It's this, come sit with me. I don't have all the answers, but I can take you to the one who does. It's Jesus. Come sit with me. It's simple. I'm not prepared for dealing with a breakup. Okay, come sit with me. I'm not prepared for cancer. Okay, come sit with me. I'm not prepared for surgery. I'm not prepared for my kids being out of the house. Whatever it is, it's an opportunity for you and me to be able to say, Come sit with me. Or we can say something like this. We can say, hey, life is complicated, but there's help. Those situations are hard. Can I point you in a good direction? But let me share one more with you. You could say this. You know what? Can I share with you what has helped me? Can I share with you what God has been doing in my life? Can I pray with you? Can I share with you what has helped me get through the seasons of life that I've been struggling with as well? I believe that God will use it. Now let me leave you with one more portion of the story that I think is so phenomenal. The story shows us something about what God wants to do in us. The story shows us that your story is powerful. Okay, You may not think that your story is powerful. It is. You say, well, I'm boring. Everything I've been through is boring. No, it's not. God's going to use it. Let me show you this woman. Okay, Look at what happened. The text tells us in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. What, what did she do? She went back to town. She said, look, this guy's the Messiah. He told me everything I ever did. 
lot of people came and believed. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them two days, and, and they began, many of them began to believe. Look, verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. So then they interacted with, with the woman, and they said this, you know, they said to the woman, not, you know, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. God used her story. And I think God will use your story. So let me leave you with a question. Whose eternity is going to be impacted by you? Whose eternity is it? Who's going to show up here? Some of the names this past year. Perpetua. I think of somebody named Rip who trusted Christ this year. I think of the fact that we have 24 names, people like Jonathan, who've trusted Christ because somebody decided to see people like Jesus sees them and decided to walk through the open door opportunity. I think God wants to use you. God, thank you. Thank you that you want to use us, that you want to use us to impact others. God, I pray that I pray that you would help us to slow down and open our eyes to see you at work, that we would listen for the knots, that things are not going well, that I'm not prepared, I'm not in church, and that we would be ready to respond. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. But thank you also that you've given us a purpose to pay attention to the people around us. And I pray that you'd use us. We ask in Jesus' name.